Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. <laughs> Sorry about that. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Backman Report presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host Fred Alvader. Fred. Hi, how are you after that? You know, a little confusion there that uh, technical <laughs> difficulties like, we had at the beginning. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone or something. It just kept yeah, going yeah. over and over. I'm going to blame the snow. Like, I'm, I'm going to blame the snow yeah. that I got out my window here. <laughs> we got four inches of snow yesterday. Um, so no, no golf. After the wonderful February we had, it was kind of like spring came early, but we knew we were going to pay for it. Um, and it and it came yesterday. It blew through. Uh, you know, I didn't get golf outside, but I did get to work with some of my golf students at the indoor simulators this week, which was great. We had a, we had a great time doing that. But Carlos, uh, at the top of the golf news this week, we're we're going to be talking about uh, Adam Hadwin struggling down the stretch, but got his inaugural win in Tampa. Steve Stricker will tee it up with the old guys in Arizona this week, and the PGA Tour invades Bay Hill for the first time without the king on his throne. Oh, and one more thing. We are only 22 days away from the Masters. So let's go, Carlos. Let's go. Let's talk some golf. The Masters has been 12 years, right, since Tiger Woods last win it. Wow. Will he be playing? We don't know, but we'll have a lot to talk about that. We have a lot of things in store for you, our uh, topic on the practice range will be about the future of uh, golf innovation. You know, so we are going to be discussing a little bit about that later on. But we're going to start right away with the weekend vaccine, where we every week recap the weekend's actions on the major and some minor tours. And Fred, you just said it, Adam Hatwin almost handed over the win to Patrick Cantley, but no, he didn't. What happened? He pulled it out. Uh, actually, well, Cantley kind of gave it to him. But, you know, Hadwin won the Valspar to become the 15th Canadian to win on the PGA Tour. He tried to give it away, but uh, Cantley did make bogey on the 72nd hole, so it gave the victory to the Canadian. With the win, Hadwin goes from 15th to 4th in the FedEx Cup standings. He's been playing pretty good this year. 
qualified for his first Masters and became just the second player to win on the PGA Tour, the McKenzie Tour, and the Web.com, all three. He came into the week 98th on the official world golf ranking, but the victory moved him up to 51st, making him eligible for the WGC match play. But he has a previous engagement that he just can't get out of. He's getting married that week. So, you know, there you go. Guaranteed money. Got to turn it down. Of course, if you win a million, million one, I guess you can afford to give up a couple hundred grand, right? Hadwin <laughs> has struggled when near the lead in the past. Uh, remember, his 59 that put him in the lead at the career builder, but he could only manage a runner-up finish that week. The fact is, though, that Hadwin has been playing at a high level thus far all season. In 10 starts, he has five top 25s, three top 10s, including the runner-up and, and now the win. Patrick Canley was one of the can't-miss kids from a couple of years ago. Had a phenomenal summer that year on the PGA Tour when he was still an amateur. As a matter of fact, he held the number one amateur ranking in the world for nearly two years. He's been working with former PGA Tour winner uh, and OSU Buckeye, Carlos, John Cook, He is just now returning from nearly two years off the tour and was playing on a medical exemption, back issues, plus the death of his former friend and caddy uh, plagued him and affected his golf career. He was at a point where he was not sure he would ever even play golf again. In his first start back at the AT&T Pebble Beach, he recorded T-48, and with the 680,000 here in the last week and only his second start, it satisfies his medical exemption and regains full tour privileges. Jim Herman was going to take the Valspar off, but he was playing so well a couple of weeks ago that he signed up at the last minute, fired a 62 in the first round, played solid the rest of the week, and earned a T3 finish. He'd missed five cuts in 11 starts this year, so he really needed a good, a good high finish. Who in the world is Dominic Bazelli? Where did that name come from? Sounds like he should be on the European tour. He's a 25-year-old out of Auburn University in his first year on the PGA Tour. Consistency is not his forte. In 10 starts, he's missed six cuts. But in the other four events, he has a fifth and now a third-place finish at the Valspar. He qualified for the 2016 Web.com Tour through Q School, won the Corrales Puticana Resort and Club Championship to secure his 2017 PGA Tour card. Hey, Carlos, my guy, Wesley Bryan, just keeps showing up. He finished T7 for his third consecutive top 10 finish. He jumps to 39th in the latest set of comp standings. Even though Tony Finau has been playing well this year and had another strong fifth-place finish in Tampa, it won't be quite enough to get him into the WGC match play. There were not too many big names at the Valspar. It, it is suffering just like the other Florida swing events being sandwiched between two WGCs and the Masters coming up. The biggest names in the event, Henrik Stenson was 7th, uh, Jason Duffner was 11th, uh, Graham McDowell finished 14th, Matt Kuchar came in at 22nd. The way the scheduling is set this year with Florida events squeezed in between the WGC Mexico and the WGC match play, it's just playing havoc with the stars playing in the Florida swing events. So, Carlos, that's something they've got to get ironed out in the future. Uh, they're going to have to work on that. Yeah, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that on our 
Powerful news, but this victory secured Adam Hadwin is starting the U.S. Masters. Of course, it's going to be his first trip. It will also give him a start in the WC match play, but his wedding is scheduled for that Friday. <clears throat> so the honeymoon, he had it planned for the Masters week, but he has said, well, I might have to postpone it for a week. You know, it's uh, this little thing called the Masters, as you know, it's in the middle now. My first time there, so honey, I'll take you to another place. <laughs> but you know, also talking about uh, Patrick Cantley, which we mentioned not long ago, uh, it was it's great to see him back again. I mean, I remember when we saw him turn pro, we were very high on him, and uh, although he was disappointed not to have gotten the win. It was a big wake for him because he came into the event on a medical exemption, meaning that he had 10 events in which to accrue $624,726 to make him fully exempt. With this finish, he achieved that and will now play the remainder of the season. He had the world's number one amateur uh, back in 2011, but he has endured a long spell of uncertainty because of a misdiagnosed back injury. So, Fred, it's great very great to see him back there uh, playing well. And hopefully, you know, he's back for the long run and see him fulfill his uh, full potential. Let's talk a little bit about the European tour where SSP Shalrasha. He completed the four rounds at DLF GNCC in a total of 10 under par 278. Seven better than his nearest challenger, Gavin Green. Charasia became the first Indian player to successfully defend a European title, uh, European Tour title, and now he has won four European Tour events, all of them in his home country. Charasia, he had seven holes of his third round to complete when he arrived on Sunday after Lightning had delayed play on the first two days. He came out of the blocks at a pace, burning the 13th, 14th, and 15th. Into the fourth and final round, Charasia, he started strongly in. When he picked up a stroke at the fourth, he moved up four, click of the, four clear of the pack. The 38-year-old's lead was stretched to five by the turn, and he was never threatened on the run for home. Gavin Green finished with a 75, and that was good enough for him to secure second place. His first European Tour top 10, Scott Jamieson of Scotland, ended up the week tied for third with Italy's Matteo Manassero. Like I mentioned, this was SSP Charasia's fourth European Tour title, all of them have been uh, secured in India. He hasn't been enjoying a particularly good season to this point. His best finish having been a tie for 35th in the ISPS Handa World Super 6 berth. But since the Hero Indian Open became a fixture on the European Tour schedule, only home players have tasted success. And he ran Lahiri in 2015 and now Sharasia in back-to-back uh, seasons. For Mateo Manacero, he enjoyed his best result of the season, a tie for third. It was his best finish on the European Tour since last year's Scottish Open. Another man showing a welcome return to form was Scotland's Scott Jamieson, who finished tied with Manacero in third place. This was his best result on the European Tour since 2014. Priat Markasang from Thailand, he made the first albatross of the 2017 European Tour season. He holds his approach 
to the 18th with a four iron. What a shot that was. So Fred rounding up the top 10 finishers were Rafa Cabrera Bello, T5, with another with the other standard star from India, Anirvan Lahiri and Carlos Piguem from Spain, and finishing in a tie for eighth were George Coetzia, Michael Howey, and David Howey. Yeah, we had uh, we had an event down in New Zealand also, Carlos, the ISPS and the New Zealand Open. Um, New Zealander Michael Hendry became the first Kiwi to claim the ISPS and the New Zealand Open title since 2003 after a three-way playoff with Millbrook at, at Millbrook Resort in Queenstown. Hendry hit 17 greens in regulation on the way to an outstanding 200 par 69 the final round to edge out our fellow Kiwi Ben Campbell and 2011 champion Brad Kennedy from Australia. He got into the lead on the 10th hole, although he did require the playoff to become the 98th winner of the Brody Breeze Trophy and the first New Zealand, like I say, since 2003. He said, this is one I wanted the most of any trophy, and I've got it now. I think for most of the Kiwis in the field, if it's not one of the four majors, it's this one, to have the New Zealand Open Trophy and have my name on it as well. It's pretty sweet. Hey, Carlos, I think you're going to tell us a little bit about the Latino American tourney that they, they had down in Argentina last weekend. Yes, in Argentina, in Argentina, where, you know, Argentina. There's, a, there's a lot, a lot of great memories for me. <clears throat> but let me tell you, after only two tournaments, DuPont native Brandon Matthews is on top of the PGA Tour Latino America. Matthews, who is a Temple graduate, shot an even par 72 on Sunday and held off a hard-charging Matias Simaski and Jared Wolf for one-stroke victory at the Molino Canuelas Championship in Buenos Aires, Argentina. With the victory, he surged to the top of the tour rankings in the order of merit. Matthews began the tournament with a 68 on Thursday to jump to second place. After an up and down, se- down second day, he surged to the lead with a 765 on Saturday and looked to be in a comfortable position to begin his final round. However, he ran into trouble near the front of the course at the Canuelas Golf Club, recording a double bogey and bogey on number three and four. Moments later, he though he rebounded with a birdie on number fifth and added another on the part 313th to keep his lead. Simaski did everything he could to catch up, carting an eagle on the 18th hole and adding three other birdies during the day, but he ultimately fell one short. Andres Halverson was fourth at 10 under, and American TJ Vogel was fifth at 8 under. Jose de Jesus Rodriguez, who won the Avianca Colombia Open in February, missed the cut in Buenos Aires. So with this victory, Matthews earned $36,225 in price money. And more importantly, he climbed to the top of the tour standings. The top five finishers at the end of the season qualify for the Web.com Tour, which is one level below the PGA Tour. So after two tournaments, Matthews is tops in scoring average and 68.88 among the golfers who played all eight rounds, and he's tied for second in total birdies with 36. He will look to keep his momentum going when he returns to the course this Thursday for the Stella Artois Open in Antigua in Guatemala. You know, this is the PGA Tours Latino America's sixth season. 
It is the premier professional golf tour in Latin America and developmental league for the PGA Tour. Uh, Fred, the PGA Tour Latin America is split with eight tournaments that are in the spring and another eight in the fall. So this is a great tour for development of because those top five players, like I mentioned, are automatically placing the web.com tour, which is their stepping stone, as we all know, to the highest level of professional golf under the PGA Tour. Yeah, we don't get to spend a lot of time talking about the Latino America uh, uh, Tour or the McKenzie Tour, for that matter, up in Canada. So it's kind of great that we uh, got a chance to talk about it a little bit tonight. But, Carlos, did you know I played golf one time in Argentina, spent a little time down there. Um, it oh, was great. Did. and I, I did. Oh, I, I did. It is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we spent some time mm-hmm. in Buenos Aires. We went down down to the uh, down to the ocean. Uh, stayed on the beach there. It was great, um, and uh, uh, played a golf course. And I have to tell you, when we were there, now this was about ten years ago, okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so the uh, conversion rate was about uh, four to one. So <laughs> I I played uh, eighteen holes of golf on a championship golf course, very nice golf course, with a caddy, okay. Uh, to give you an idea, around here, I mean, that would have been about a $200 deal, okay? Uh, it cost me thirty, $33, $33, caddy and everything. They were, I, I mean, that was with tip, and they were, and they were tickled to death to get that. I, it was just, it was unbelievable. Hey, um, on the uh, Symmetra Tour, uh, they kicked off their season uh, this week in Florida with the um, uh, Florida's Natural uh, charity Classic. Olivia Jordan-Higgins from the United Kingdom captured her third win on the Symmetra Tour by winning this week. She bested Yu Liu of China and Californian Christine Song by a single shot. The winner was tied to the lead at 700 par through eight holes when play was halted for an hour and 52 minutes due to inclement weather. After the delay, she's carded three birdies to finish at 10 under for the vic- victory. This is her seventh year as a professional and third year on the and third Symmetra Tour win. Jordan Higgins took the lead for good with a clutch six-foot birdie putt on the 16th hole, plus a pair of tap-in pars on 17 and 18, which sealed the deal. I can't ask for better. Honestly, Jordan Higgins said, I feel pretty confident about this year, and having this win early on makes life a lot easier. Jordan Higgins was... Just $114 short of earning a 2013 LPGA Tour card. She finished in the top 20 on the money list each year from 2012 through 2014. She's hoping this will be the year she makes a jump to the big tour. I want it more than anything, Jordan Higgins said, of making the LPGA. This is what I've wanted since I started playing golf. The key for me is to let it happen. I have all the tools. I need it and all the support I need. So it's just a matter of accepting whatever happens. So good luck to her. Carlos, the things that we're going to be looking at this week, give you a little preview here real quick. On the PGA Tour, we got the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando at Bay Hill. On the LPGA, they finally returned to the continental United States for the Founders Cup in Arizona. The Champions Tour is in in, uh, action in Tucson with the uh, Tucson Conquistadores Classic. And guess what? Steve Stricker, that old guy, 50-year-old Steve Stricker is in the field. The uh, Ladies European Tour is in China, Mission Hills, for the World Ladies Championship. 
But the Web.com, the European Tour, and the Asian Tour, they're all off this week. No event schedule, Carlos. No event schedule. So with that, we are going to take our first short break, and hopefully the music will be the proper one for that. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. back and now it's time for the part five news where every week we bring you the latest from around the world of golf and Fred what can we do if there's a week that we don't talk about President Donald Trump this is not that week so that's cool. we're gonna have to have a whole new segment you know we, we got we, you know we got the backs we got the par five news we got the you know the practice range and the final but we're just gonna have to have a Trump section uh, every week yeah. is, uh, is what we're going to have to do. Now, uh, leading off the Par 5 news tonight, of course, uh, our top story uh, involves Donald Trump. There's a couple stories, actually, that are in the news this week. Uh, in a story from the New York Times, the president's son, Eric, says the family's golf properties are hotter than ever. The Trump golf empire consists of 15 owned golf courses, one leased in Dubai, and three more currently under construction. Trump Bedminster, as we all know, across the river from New York City, will be the site of the U.S. Women's Open this summer. And, of course, there's a small group of women. They're all upset about that. And the Champions Tour will hold the senior PGA Championship at Trump National in the nation's capital. Given that it is the New York Times, the article really was about ripping the president for being involved in golf. And thus, being the president of the United States helps his business interests. In other Trump news this week, a group of vandals calling themselves the Anonymous Environmental Activist Collective climbed over a fence at Trump's Rancho Palos Verdes Golf Club south of L.A. in the middle of the night and did substantial damage by carving no more tigers, no more woods into a green using shovels and other implements. The 18-hole, 7,300-yard course was built on cliffs overlooking the Pacific Ocean just south of Los Angeles. It's ranked the 43rd best course in California. In a statement sent to the Washington Post, the group said the vandalism was carried out in response to Trump administration's blatant disregard for the environment. I'm not sure what that is, but evidently they think it's bad. The spokesperson for the group told the Washington Post, we hope this sends a message to Trump and his corrupt administration that their actions will be met with action. Boy, they sound tough tearing up a green on a golf course. But the land had previously been used for farming. Trump National Golf Club opened in 2006 and was dedicated to protecting the environmentally sensitive habitat that plays host to several protected plant species and the endangered coastal California gnatcatcher. Gnatcatcher, Carlos. A migratory bird. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the California Department of Fish and Game were involved with the setting up of a series of standards and guidelines for the course. So 
they went overboard and met all the guidelines when they built this thing, uh, you know, very environmentally sound, uh, you know, as most golf courses are today, for sure. So, Carlos, uh, I came through all the sit-ins and the demonstrations of the 60s and 70s and all that stuff, and, and I, you know, I guess they raised awareness, and this is suited some change in the political climate, but this is definitely not one of those. This is not a political statement. This is just simply vandalism, and the perpetrator should be arrested and charged. Totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, Fred, you know, the team rooms of the upcoming President's Cup have gotten a little more crowded for the first time in the event's 23-year history. Both captains will be allowed to have four assistant captains on the roster. The change matches the E1 implemented for last year's Ryder Cup at Hazeltine. Starting by the fact that this Twitter has gotten the band together with his selection Tuesday of Jim Fury to be his fourth assistant captain for the 12th President's Cup this fall at Liberty National in New Jersey, I mean in Jersey City, New Jersey, Stricker now has surrounded himself with contemporaries who were part of the U.S. Brain Trust for last year's winning Ryder Cup team under Captain Davis Love III. Fierig, who already was named U.S. Captain for the 2018 Ryder Cup in Paris, joined Love, Tiger Woods, and Freddie Couples. Only Couples was not on the leadership team when the U.S. formed to a 17-11 victory over the Europe at Hazeltine National to reclaim the Ryder Cup for the first time since 2008. Couples, however, was the U.S. President's Cup captain going 3-0, and he was an assistant to Jay Haas at the 2015 President's Cup in Korea, which the U.S. won by a point to improve to 9-1-1 in the series. For Furyk, it's another responsibility to add to an already busy time. As I said before, he was already previously being named captain for the 2018 Ryder Cup, in France, and he follows in the footsteps of Love, who served as an assistant in Korea in 2015 before captain in last year's Ryder Cup squad. Fierig has still had the hopes of playing for the U.S., having been on seven President Cup teams and nine Ryder Cups as a competitor, the second most for America behind Phil Mickelson's 11 Ryder Cup appearances. He's 20-10-3 and in President's Cup play, including a 5-0 and record in 2011 in Australia. But meanwhile, on the international team, side captain Nick Price, serving a third term, added more fresh blood, selecting former Masters champion Mike Weir of Canada to go along with South Africa's Ernie Els, Australia's Jeff Ogilvie, and Tony Johnstone, who has been brought back by fellow Zimbabwe native Price for a third time. Coincidentally, <laughs> I didn't know this until I saw it, but Furig and Weir are the exact same age. Both were born on May 12, 1970. Weir played in the event five times, uh, and he who won the 2003 Masters, you know, he had battle injuries in the recent years. He played on five President Cup teams for the internationals most recently in 2009, he had going 13-9-2 despite the international's losing record overall, and he's very eager to reprise a role in the biennial matches. Most memory, you might remember uh, him by defeating Tiger Woods in singles, one up in the 2007 edition in front of his countrymen there at Royal Montreal. Fred, 
The first Innings Cup will be held in September 28th to October 1 at Liberty National Golf Club in Jersey City, New Jersey. And at least from this, picking up Weir and Fear, who really both take team play to another level, is a great thing at least to look forward there at the President's Cup. You know, what do we got on these? You know, the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, they have, they have like 12 players, right? Right. So how long is it going to be before we're going to have like an assistant captain for every player? We're going to have like 12 <laughs> captains and 12 players. How many guys do we need? Okay, I, this is just, uh, you know, they have, so they have four matches out. Uh, well, I guess uh, I guess for the President's Cup they all play, so there's so there's uh, six matches out at a time, right? And then the right. uh, then the twelve singles matches. So um, I guess with a captain and four assistants, you can cover all of them but one. But I don't, you know, this just kind of like is an old buddies group to me. Now I'm going to go out. Uh, see, they're going to play this thing at Liberty National, right there in uh, across the river from New York City. Uh, and, um, so that's an old uh, old landfill, I guess. But I'm going to go out on a limb here, Carlos, and say it really doesn't matter how many assistant captains the international team has or the U.S. team has. The U.S. teams are going to win. The internationals are going to lose. You can write it down. I said it here first. Hey, <laughs> uh, on the um, <laughs> the PGA Tour is not winning, you know, making friends all around the world, believe it or not. Um, the Asian Tour uh, is just not too thrilled with the new PGA Tour event that's going to be held in Korea this fall. Last October, the PGA Tour announced a newly sanctioned event that would be held in Korea in the fall wraparound season. It would fall after the CIMB in Malaysia and prior to the WGC HSBC Champions that's held in Shanghai, China. The tournament, the CJ Cup at Nine Bridges, will offer 500 FedEx Cup points as well as a $9.25 million course. 9.25, that's pretty nice. That's just right there below the, the majors and right there below the WGC. That's pretty good money. It will feature an elite 78-player field, 60 of those coming from the PGA Tour FedEx Cup points list. The remaining players, with many of the best Korean players represented, will come from a number of different exemptions to be named at a later date. It will have an Asian uh, kind of a world golf championship kind of feel. It seems, however, that the new uh, chief executive officer of the Asian Tour, Josh Burek, is just not too happy with the PGA Tour stomping around in his backyard and not even offering the Asian Tour a piece of the big pie. In just five months on the job as head of the Asian Tour, Burek has forged an alliance with the European Tour to co-sanction events and not allow the bigger, the bigger European Tour to kick over his events and the prestige in the Pacific Rim area. As you know, the PGA Tour also operates the new China PGA Tour, and now with this new Korean event, is making it more difficult for the Asian Tour to grow and be a force in the region. Burek told Global Golf Post, LeWine Mayer, we don't feel it's right. We are, <clears throat> we are a tour with over 20 years' history and one of the six members of the International Federation of PGA Tours. We feel the PGA Tour should have 
consulted with us before finalizing their plans for this event in an important market for the Asian Tour. Derek reached out to the PGA Tour when he learned of the new event and asked if co-sanctioning was possible and received a simple uh, thanks but uh, no thanks response. He was also disappointed with the CJ Corporation, the sponsor putting up the $9.25 million purse when that amount would fund 10 Asian Tour events. Derek hopes to meet with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan at the Masters to sort the whole thing out and build a better working relationship going forward. The PGA Tour seems to be burning a few international bridges with competing tours around the world. Remember the WGC Bridgestone last year was scheduled opposite the French Open? And Keith Pelley wasted no time in jerking the co-sanctioning of the WGC event in Akron to convince his players to travel to France rather than Ohio. Boy, that'd be a tough decision. Do I go to Akron, Ohio? Do I go to Paris, France? Do I go to Paris? Do I go to... Oh, okay. All right. With the McKenzie Tour in Canada, the Latino American Tour in South America, and the China Tour, the PGA Tour has been flexing its considerable muscle around the world. We may be seeing the beginning of an interesting fight if the Asian, European, and Austral-Asian tours continue to work together and are able to attract big money sponsors. Australia and Asia, as you know, as we talk about, are definitely growth markets for golf. Oh, definitely. And uh, the European tour has been working with them, but the PGA Tour always wants everything for them, so they don't work well together. Hey, news from around the PGA Tour players. The field for the WGC Dell Match Play Championship has suffered another defection, making what he termed a very difficult decision. Justin Rose has joined his friend and future Siri Classic partner Henrik Stenson on the sidelines for the season, season's third WGC event. Stenson is skipping the event for the third straight year, and he mentioned scheduling, but really it's his lack of enthusiasm for the round-robin format that the PGA Tour introduced in 2015, and I don't blame him. Rose will instead play the Shell Houston Open the week prior to the Masters, further bolstering a field that already includes Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Reed, and Phil Mickelson. This week represents the last chance to crack the top 64 in the official World Golf Rankings to qualify for the March 22, 26 event at uh, Austin Country Club, but now the bubble will extend to at least 66 and perhaps even further. According to an AP report, Adam Scott is also expected to skip the tournament, and Ricky Fowler remains on the fence. He's going to be active this week, but he says that I'm leaning against playing there. So, you know, the WGC is, uh, we talked about it last week, about the hierarchy where it ranks, but it seems like there are some players that really, at least the match play, they don't seem to fond of the format that the PGA Tour has brought in. So, uh, also, it could take into consideration that, you know, the, the cram schedule, and we're not talking about the Olympics this year, so I don't want them to be blaming it on the Olympics now. But also, if you're looking for Dustin Johnson, Jordan Speed, and Phil Mickelson playing during the PGA Tour so-called Florida Swing, you're not going to find any of them. Why not? Well, blame it on the tour schedule this year. None of these players will 
tee it up in any of the Florida events. That includes the API this week. And uh, there was a time when the Florida swing felt like the unofficial start to the tour season. Not anymore. Not this year anyway. The reason doesn't have as much to do with Florida as it does with the tour's current schedule. And again, there is no Olympics this year. Rather than playing four consecutive weeks in Florida, the schedule goes to the Honda Classic in West Palm Beach, Florida, bounced over to the WGC Mexico Championship in Mexico City, and now has a Florida doubleheader with the Valspar Championship near Tampa and the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando. Beyond that comes the WGC Dell match play in Austin, Texas, Shell Houston Open in that little two-minute in Augusta that is coming afterwards. The Masters, as you might imagine, factors heavily into the schedule of the top players. Many of them like to play their way into Augusta, so they make Houston a pre-master stop. Most of the top players will also play the match play, though Henrik Stenson, like I mentioned, Adam Scott, Justin Rose, and perhaps Ricky Fowler will be taking a pass. But that's three weeks in a row from Austin through Augusta. All the top players showed up in Mexico because it's, it was a World Champ, Golf Championship event, meaning if they are going to get some downtime, it's coming during the Florida swing. It means some top players will skip the first Bay Hill event without Arnold Palmer. That is not an easy decision for many of them, but their priority is to find a schedule that feel they feel benefits them. Jack Nicholas pointed out the scheduling dilemma while looking at the Honda Classic field without any of the top six players in the world. It would help if the WGC Mexico Championship were played the week after the Genesis Open in LA, allowing the three Florida events. There were four tournaments forever in the Sunshine State until the WGC event left her off to be played in succession. That might be coming in the future, but this year, this year it leaves Fred, it leaves Florida with its famous sunshine, but lacking some of its traditional star power, especially in the API where we're not going to see neither Dustin Johnson, Jordan Speed, Phil Mickelson. Of course, Tiger is not going to be there, but to me, the biggest star that is never going to be there is going to be the king himself. Yeah, we talked about this. Uh, you know, I hate, I just hated seeing the WGC leave. Doral. I just can't believe we don't have a, uh, a PGA Tour event, a big PGA Tour event in Doral, in Miami, you know, in southern Florida. Um, but as we talked about last week, the, the WGC there in Mexico was, I mean, that was outstanding. That turned out to be great. The only problem is the scheduling conflict, the, the Honda Classic and the uh, WGC Mexico, those weeks should be swapped. It should have been Mexico, mm-hmm. then come to Florida. Um, and then you play three events in Florida, and then you go to Austin and play the two Texas events. Um, so um, that really messed things up uh, for Florida, for sure. Um, but I'm sure they'll get that straightened out in the future. But, you know, the big surprise in all this to me is that Ricky Fowler is not playing in the match play because he always does very well in the match play. He's a very good match play player. Um, you know, he's been in, what, the semis? He's, you know, he's been in the quarters. Um, he always does quite well in that. So um, I know he's from Florida, and he tries to support the Florida events, so I suppose that's maybe one thing. Um, you know, I, they still don't have – you know, they keep tweaking the match play thing, and I don't know, they keep getting a better maybe. But 
you know, this round robin thing, nobody's really maybe a big fan of that. It does give mm-hmm. the players a couple of rounds, what, three rounds or whatever. Uh, so they're guaranteed that. Um, but maybe maybe it would be better if they had, a, you know, like Wednesday and Thursday with, with metal play. And then uh, and then you played, uh, you know, the round of 16 on uh, on Friday. And then you had the quarters and the semis on Saturday and then the final on Sunday. But for the guys that make it all the way through, that's, uh, what, like two, three, four, five, six, seven rounds. Um, that's, that's a lot of golf. Um, I don't know. I, 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 the match play, we love match play. We like it. But, I, it, you know, coming at that time of year, then I, it, I don't know. I just don't know. It doesn't seem – it just doesn't work out right. I don't know. I, I, I like that golf course that last year it was great seeing it there at Austin. Uh, kind of looking forward to it again to see who gets through. But if I'm a player and I'm gearing up for the Masters – um, I'm not too excited about the match play, Carlos. What, what, what's your no, thought? No, me neither. Me neither. Me neither. And like I mentioned, and you also mentioned, I mean, if they would have swapped the WGC uh, with uh, with the uh, Genesis with the uh, on the class, Fondo. yeah, that would have allowed those uh, those tournaments to be together, and they could have a better better scheduling. But definitely. Uh, I, I liked also the the I don't I really am not a fan of like Henrik Stenson. He said you know and I like that's one of the things that I like from that uh, Super Perth uh, six that that we saw in, in Australia that you're gonna play uh, some the first rounds you're gonna have a uh, a stroke play and then you seed the players and they finish in the match play. That I would like to see that. But uh, they do this for the sponsors. Uh, of course, there were a lot of the top players being eliminated early, so uh, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm going down into the to the weekend. But if if they would modify that and maybe do that uh, so that some you keep some of the players that other way, they, you keep them interested, and then you seed them, and then you play the match play, uh, that that would make it more interesting for for me at least. Yeah, but the other side of that coin is it's just a lot of golf. Uh, I mean, you know, you're packing a lot of walking, a lot of pressure, a lot of mental strain uh, into uh, four or five days there. If, you, if you're if you one of the guys that make it on through, man, it's, it's a lot of golf. Hey, Carlos, um, you just talked about the lack of some of the big names at the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week. You know, that's this is the first time the event's been held without its namesake in attendance. Other parts of Arnie's empire have undecided futures also with the team no longer at the helm. The business and corporations have a plan in place to carry on when the CEO retires or dies, so those will go on. But what's to become of the office memorabilia, the Latrobe Country Club, and all the artifacts at Bay Hill? (coughs) In addition to Arnie's beloved Bay Hill Golf Club in Orlando, Latrobe Golf Club, where his father was the greenskeeper and later the pro, has been Arnold's summer home and office all of his life. His office and large shed are filled with trophies, clubs, and other memorabilia accumulated from one of the most iconic lives in the history of golf. Doc Geffen, who was Arnold's secretary for many years, hopes the Latrobe office will remain as some sort of museum, but it takes money to operate that type of business. 
the question becomes, is Latrobe too far off the beaten path to sustain itself, to draw enough uh, audience, enough crowds to pay a fee to visit? The memorabilia can be given to museums across the country and sold for charity. But this is an arduous process encompassing thousands of items. It's kind of like the children of a deceased parent going through the years of memories gathered with love and the inability to part with it while the person was living. Each item has its own story to tell, how it came to be, and the circumstances surrounding its place in the king's storage. In the past, golf tournaments that are recognized by the name of the founder or celebrity fade off into the sunset. With Arnold's presence, the draw of the big-name talent required to keep sponsors happy and offer the sizable purses necessary to attract the, these guys, you know, can the Arnold Palmer Invitational continue very far into the future? Where are the Bing Crosby's, the Bob Hope, Sammy Davis Jr., Glenn Campbell, et cetera, et cetera, tournaments today? They are the Career Builder, the AT&T, the Genesis Open, or they've just disappeared altogether. The ramifications of losing the king to the golf world will continue and affect more than just what will happen to his memorabilia, Carlos. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's really tough to see that the king is not there. I just saw a well, not too long ago, the, the picture from Jason Day um, and being handed the trophy by Arnold Palmer. And it makes me sad just to, to know that he's not there. But hopefully, you know, I this about the missing players, the top players, I know that to most of them, they really don't didn't want to do it, but they found no other, no other choice because of the schedule for the next year. You know, they can make him proud. I just remember Ricky Fowler last year when he wasn't able to play, he took a flight to explain personally to Arnold why he wasn't playing there. So that 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 means a lot, you know, for a lot of those players. And hopefully they can keep this as one of the top tournaments in the tour. With that, we'll wrap up our Power 5 News. We're going to take a short break, and hopefully, again, the music will be right. And we will, when we come back, we have our topic, which is going to be the future of golf discussion here. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the practice range for every week. Right and I pick a topic, and each of us take our own shots at it. This week we are in a, what it could be called a continuation that we have been talking for quite some time right now, and it's about uh, technology in golf, the advance, the advancements on it, and uh, we're going to be talking about the North American Golf Innovation Symposium, where there was talk about the variable ball, some of the technology and all that, and Fred, uh, this is something that 
it's really, really important to talk about. Uh, we have uh, heard, and you know that I always laugh and, and make jokes about the Jack Nicholas saying that we have to change the darn ball. And uh, this is what we're talking about. So uh, take it, get the, the, get the first shot. Yeah, well, last week uh, at the North American Golf Innovation Symposium, which was held in Vancouver, the USGA Executive Director, Mike Davis, uh, in his closing remarks, suggested there may be room in the game's future for a variable distance golf ball. Uh, The idea would be to tailor golf balls to golfers or courses so golfers with different distance capabilities could play together from the same tees or compete on certain courses that would play more true to their original heritage or their timing with the way golfers were, the average golfers were hitting the length of the ball. After his remarks, uh, Davis stressed, however, that such an idea is only alternative for the future and there's no plan for a mandatory golf ball rollback currently. But you know if he's thinking about it, they're talking about it in the boardrooms. You know they're talking about it in their offices. Despite what some people write, we've seen roughly 13 years in a row where distance at the elite level is hardly moving, which is where we wanted it to get to. This notion of people saying that the USGA and the RNA had their heads in the sand, well, this is not our data, and you can extrapolate it however you want, but the reality is it's hardly moving. Carlos, when I watch the PGA Tour pros on TV and I see those guys hitting at 345 and 350, the long hitters consistently, that's a lot farther than the 300 yards, the 290 yards that Jack Nicholas used to hit it and the long hitters used to hit it back in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. Um, that's, I mean, 40 yards is a lot of difference. And most of that has come in the last, uh, what do you say, 15, 20 years maybe? Um, I think a lot of, well, I'm going to go into that, but, but a lot of it's come more recently. We don't foresee any need to do a mandatory rollback of distance. We just don't see it, but that's different than saying if somebody comes to us and says, I want an experience that doesn't take as long or use as much land, can we allow for equipment to do that? Davis showed that distance is a concern for the game's future and being discussed at the highest levels of golf. He made specific reference to the U.S. Open at Shinnecock coming up next year that's going to play at about 7,500 yards or 2,000 yards more than what it played uh, in, uh, in, in, in uh, you know, the last time they held it there. Anybody is hard-pressed to say that as distance has increased, that it's been good for the game. We all want to hit the ball farther. We get that. But distance is all relative. When you think about the billions and billions of dollars that have been spent to change golf courses, and you've got to say, has that been good for the game? Is the fact that Shinnecock Hills went from 5,500 yards to 7,500 yards, what has that, is that good for the game? It's increased expenses to maintain it. It costs more time to walk that extra 2,000 yards. You know, what has that actually done? And then Carlos, 
you know, we've got guys like Jack Nicholas, who's been saying for some time that we need to change the ball. So, um, I, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, they're starting to think about it. They're starting to talk about it. Uh, I'm sure Titleist and Trixon and all these golf ball makers, they don't want, they don't want to do this. They, they want to be able to sell these different golf balls and advertise them as making the big difference and, you know, and market them. Uh, they don't want a mandated uh, distance golf ball that they have to sell. They, they do not want that. Another um, kind of neat thing with, that was at the symposium, they had uh, the guy that just started uh, Yahoo, Jerry Yang, uh, one of the co-founders of Yahoo, uh, talked. And so he talked about uh, technologies, um, you know, that are, that are going to change an innovation in technology that's going to change golf. So he was a keynote speaker. Um, and uh, if, he said, that if you look at the categories of things that are coming across our investment activities and how people are understanding their bodies, every element that is applicable to golf, measuring brain waves, measuring all the body metrics, and understanding those things, it's all very interesting. So, you know, we're going to be looking at how we react physically as well as the equipment we use. So, you know, you've got a thing where, uh, equipment has, has, has helped distance. Uh, you've got a thing where the golf ball has changed distance. Um, you know, better training, better teaching. Um, so all of these things have gone into it, Carlos. We've talked about that before. Uh, the golf ball is really just one part of it. But golf in the future, as we do more, have you seen the commercial with Brian DeChambeau on TV where he's drops a ball on a digital uh, <clears throat> recreation uh, and the ball shows, shows different stuff and, and they can, you know, the data they're turning out for the, for the tour players on, on every shot and the spin and all that stuff. Um, this stuff's going to get, I mean, we think it's bad now with TrackMan and FlightScope and spin rate and launch angles and all that stuff. Uh, it's it's going to get even more, Carlos. The future of golf, uh, this technology thing, is just going to keep going and going. Uh, my question to you for that is, how do you feel about this change in technology? Because it's so different. Uh, from because I mean, one thing is, uh, I mean, you mentioned Jerry Yang. You know, he's the co-founder of Internet uh, of Yahoo. He's an internet entrepreneur. Uh, he when he talks, a lot of people listen. Right. He knows what what he's talking about, especially about technology and about uh, development and all that. And when he mentions that, you know, things that are uh, right now, the same technologies that are reordering the the greater consumer world, like uh, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and uh, that ever increasing interconnectivity that we are running and that's unavoidable, unavoidable, is coming to golf. You know, it, it feels like he was saying also about the, the the things like the laser technology that would be integrated into your into your glasses to 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 see into your sunglasses where uh, a golf simulator in your garage will let you play St Andrews in a way like it really plays like St Andrews and and there's a lot of things that he was mentioned mentioning there also the the smart ball. Uh, 
that we're not too far away from it because if you see the concept that Top Golf has right now, where you if you have gone to if anybody has gone to a Top Golf, you know that they have this uh, tracker inside the ball and it really tells you everything about your your ball flight and that's how it tracks where it's really landing and it gives you the points and all that. But there was once an ad uh, copy that caught my eye where it says. Yes, it works. Tee off with Praza and walk straight with, to your ball every time. And that message touched a nerve. It was only a few days removed from around the halfway where, you know, I had thrown like three sleeves uh, to the trees and rough rocks, you know. Uh, but, yeah. It's, the pro shop's it best it customer, did. Carlos Torres. Yeah, that's, that's why. I mean, it's, it, it, come on, it. it Losing your ball is an unwanted hassle, right? Uh, on average, most golfers lose like four balls per round. That's that's average, not me. But adding a total of twenty minutes of play, just searching the ball. Girls, I don't lose. So, I don't lose four. I don't lose four balls all year. Well, you know that that that's for the good players like you, not me. Not me. I have to go with two sleeves at least every time because I listen to the three and rough gods. You know, so uh but anyway, you know, that, that to combat that injustice and to keep play moving, you know, those good folks at Prasa, which is a Dutch company with losing lucrative uh, field of commercial vehicle tracking, they're devising a ball containing a miniature radio transmitter that then sends you a beeping sound to your handset. You know, so all those things and uh, are getting into the ball, especially with uh, also this uh, about the softballs and all that. And now that you talk about the variable uh, distance, we're not too far away. And like you say, I see golf really trending into all adding all those things that that uh, Yer Yang was saying, uh, which really I see it coming to attract a lot of millennials and new younger people, which is what I think is this moving to. So I've always been into the, and you know this, I've always defended the way that you have to try to keep everybody involved. I always think that you changed this too much, bringing, yeah, the young people, what what happened to the other people? And that's why I ask you, how do you see all this change? Is this something that you would like to see incorporated? You being a, a player for a long, long time, or is this something that, oh, man, I don't like this? And do you see people actually saying, no, you know, I don't like that. That's not what I sign up for golf. I'm just getting out. The short answer to that, Carlos, is no. I, I don't like it. Um, you know, I, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm very traditional, especially when it comes to golf. Um, I want it played the way it's been played when Hogan played it and when Jones played it and, and Hagen and uh, clear back to old Tom and young Tom Morris. Uh, the game is is a great game. Um, I've kind of gone kicking and screaming into the 21st century a little bit. Um, I don't have a track man or a flight scope myself, but um, I, I do use them. Um, in the wintertime, for my own game especially, um, I go to the simulators and I, I track my numbers over the winter, and that's when I work on stuff, um, you know, trying to increase spin rate with, with a wedge or, you know, look at my launch angles, my clubs, and, and uh, all those kind of things. 
Um, so there is some merit to all of that. Now, I'm going to preface that by saying it's really difficult for the average golfer to get too tied up in too much technology. I should say it's, it's, it's too easy for them to get too tied up in it. Um, range finders, okay? Um, when, <laughs> don't go, don't go you know, there. You got I know somebody you're going to take a, a long time if somebody you somebody's a 24 handicap out there worrying if it's 100 or 103 yards to the pin, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. You know, hit it. Let's go find it. You know, let's go. Let's keep moving, you know. Um, so, um, I, yeah, I, I, it's it's hard for me to accept all this stuff, but, and this is a really big but, I really understand the need to embrace technology, even at my age, and for the younger people that, that really are into that. Um, it, it's important for them. They've grown up with it, you know. They've grown up with my my grandkids, you know, um, we've had we've had tablets and computers and um, you know all that kind of stuff for my grandkids from the time they were big enough to start put, punching buttons on it, and you know that's the first thing they grab is they grab for their for their tablets and, and you know or or their smartphone if they're, when they're old enough to get that. But, um, uh, you know, it's tough for me, Carlos, to accept all this stuff, but I understand that golf has to embrace it and has to be out in front using this stuff. But for me, I just want to go out there, you know, with my club and some balls and and let's go play a few holes and let's enjoy it. Um, So that's kind of a long answer, but that's really the way it, it, it's a complicated issue for me. <laughs> yeah. And you started with a short answer. No. And then came all this explanation. But it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I know. I, no, I, it's I, complicated. And I, you know, I was giving oh. lessons. So it's cold here, so we can't go outside. Okay. <laughs> So I'm in the simulators. Well, on every shot, you know, the numbers come up. So I'm going over them with the student, you know, why they should be looking at this. And and so teaching them why it's important, although I really don't want them to get tied up in it, you know, I don't want them to overanalyze. I want them to think about their swing and, and, and relax and make a full swing. But we end up talking about the numbers and the spin rate and, you know, face angle and all that stuff. Um, so it, it gets to be complicated. It totally is, and I totally get what you're saying because I, I I'm torn because I'm also a, a conservative on on tradition, but I I'm also a technology person. So it's like it's tough because I, I like golf how the way it is and the way it's supposed to be. Like you mentioned, the way that Hogan and the old people. Uh, Played before us, and uh, but there's also, like you mentioned, they're, they're expanding the the golf clubs. So, I mean, the golf uh, courses. So, what are you going to do? I mean, uh, people are getting stronger, they're getting bigger everywhere. So, you know, you have to try to compensate somehow. And uh, but I, I think there has to be like a happy medium between between everything and. To, to have a happy balance of it. 
Anyway, let's move on unless you have anything else to say about this topic. I don't. I think we beat it to death. Uh, technology is coming. Uh, we can't stop it. Um, yep. And so we might as well embrace it and uh, understand it and, uh, and move on forward. One piece, two piece, three pieces, four piece balls, compression, softballs, hardballs. Plus, now you're going to have a lot of technology in it. Brace yourself. This is coming. With that, we'll wrap up our practice range. We're going to take our last short break. And when we come back, we have a final pot, but we have a lot of them. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraft Sports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. We're back, and now it's time for our final pods, and I'm going to take, as usual, the first shot at them. And let me tell you that, according to reports from AP, the now 35-year-old Lorena Ochoa is indeed going to play in her first OPGA event in more than five years later this season. But instead of it being at the a and inspirational, inspiration like a lot of people were thinking, she will be playing in the latest incarnation of her own tournament, the Lorena Ochoa Invitational, on May 4th to the 7th in Mexico City. It will be her first time competing since she last played in 2012. You might remember that she was 28 and at the top of her game when she shocked everyone in the golf world by announcing her retirement in April 2010 when she was still number one in the world. She was recently married and said she wanted to work on her foundation to start a family. Now she has three children, and she's coming back at least for that tournament. So we'll see. You might remember that decision cost her a spot on the LPGA Hall of Fame because she did not have at that time a minimum of 10 years on tour. But, on tour, but through a revamp process, she was selected for the for the World Golf Hall of Fame this year and will be inducted in September. So it's great to see Lorena uh, playing once again. Uh, another piece of news, the Kirkland Signature, the $1.25 wholesale golf ball, another golf ball, <laughs> shook up the industry for several months before vanishing from store shelves, maybe soon making a comeback or at least a version of it because the buzz around the Kirkland Signature golf ball is building once again. An apparent new version of the wholesale sold uh, ball by Costco was recently approved for play by the U.S. Golf Association, leading to speculation that the so-called performance one could soon be on the store shelves. The previous Kirkland Signature ball was just $15 a dozen and was the tour performance, but production was suspended in January after Costco's initial supply ran out. The new ball would probably look very much like the previous incarnation, but questions, in addition to anticipation, remain about its performance as well as its price point. But we'll stick around and stay tuned to find out more about that latest in the saga of the coveted Kirkland ball. Another piece of news that I have for you, hey, 
Let me tell you that the, one of golf's most distinctive and appearing features in its variety of playing fields, there's no uniformity as, as opposed to most other sports. Each course brings its own identity and personality. So Shark Park's vibe is an uncommon blend of history, blue color sensitivity, and a steering setting. Alistair McKenzie designed many of the game's shrines from Augusta National to Cypress Point, but he also created an affordable, accessible Scottish-like links in the, in the Pacifica. And 85 years later, thankfully, the course lives for another day because last week's vote by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to certify the final environmental report for a restoration plan of Sharp Park means the city will continue to operate that course. The 9-to-1 vote essentially ended an eight-year legal and political fight between golf advocates and environmentalists. So a happy meeting was settled and it will continue to be there. In another piece of news, women's golf received a boost recently when the RNA agreed to increase to increase its funding for the Ladies European Tour and its development toward the LET Access Series for this year. The RNA, which completed its union merger with the Ladies uh, Golf Union at the start of the year, has supported the Ladies European Tour for more than 20 years. The Ladies European Tour received over 90,000 pounds with the Let Access Tour also benefiting from 40,000 pounds of funding for the season. That additional support will help the LET to further develop its efforts to contribute to the growth of the game amongst women and girls there on the European on the European side. And for it to finish up, I have one more. It took two votes, but there will soon be female members at Mirfield. The Honorable Company of Edinburgh Golfers voted to accept women as members for the first time, finally, since the club's 1744 formation. More than 80% of ballots were in favor of the measure, with a two-thirds majority required for approval. This results come 10 months after Mirfield's first vote on the subject came up just short of passing with only 64% of the ballots, as you might remember, that probably removed the open, uh, removed them from the open rota. And Mirfield announced in June that a second vote would soon be uh, held. So shortly after those results were announced, for the RNA released a statement allowing the club to rejoin the rota for golf's oldest major. So finally, Finally, they'll be back, and finally, they accepted women there as members. I think that is just so hilarious, Carlos. I just every time I hear that, I just want to laugh so hard. Uh, the old boys decided, you know, that when it really hurt their pocketbook, that the women around the clubhouse really weren't that bad of an idea. If they were going to have to pony up, you know. To cover the the lost money they were going to lose from having the open there, uh, I, I just I think that's hilarious. Hey, um, the uh, the Masters is limiting the former champion access to the facilities and the Wednesday par three contest. Um, the club is asking that they no longer play practice rounds or use the practice facility. Augusta National said in an email that honorary invitees will still have special access to the Masters, but that the Par 3 contest will be limited because of increased participation and interest. So, as a person and honorary invitee, I'm disappointed because it was my favorite day of the year, former British 
Open champion Ian Baker Finch said Tuesday. I loved it. I'll still be there, though, and I'll watch it like everyone else. So the Masters is cutting down. Um, and i got to tell you, on Wednesday, that par 3 deal, it's just a little corner of the golf course where they have the uh, par 3 course down there, down kind of in a little valley. Uh, and people, I mean, they're, line, they're lined up 15, 20 deep all around that thing. <laughs> and they're lined up that way at noon. Okay, I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't even like to walk over there because it's just too too, too many people. It, people just love that thing. So um, the USGA uh, had a couple announcements. Um, they uh, announced the qualifying sites and dates for this year's U.S. Open. You can find those at the uh, USGA.org if you're interested in signing up. And they also announced uh, that the Old Waverly Golf Club in West Point, Mississippi, will host the 2019 U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. This will be the third USGA Championship contested at Old Waverly, which previously hosted the 1999 U.S. Women's Open and 2006 U.S. Women's Mid-Am Championships. And, Carlos, who said golf was a non-contact sport? Charles Swartzel uh, his week got off kind of a shaky start at the Valspar when he was playing in a pro-am prior to the tournament last week when one of his amateur playing partners shot, hit a tree, and Caron back and, and Karen back and hit Swartzel on the wrist. Um, he couldn't grip a club or close his hand. He was forced to leave the course to seek mental attention. Uh, the guy felt so bad. You know, he just uh, it felt awful that that, that happened. Uh, nothing was broken, thank goodness, and ice and medication allowed him to be on the first tee on Thursday. Um, Charles posted scores of 67, 68 on the weekend to finish solo six. So he had a good week. He was the defending champion. Uh, it's a good thing that Ball didn't hit anything more important. Uh, you know, we can laugh about it now, but uh, this could have been much more serious, Carlos. Uh, and I tell you, I've gotten hit a couple times in the golf course, and it's it's no laughing matter, really. It's 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 not fun. <laughs> um, and Carlos, to wrap up, we had this story last week, and to wrap this up, I I I, I just had a rude a rude awakening last Fred, week. Fred, Fred, you, before before you say yeah. that, before yeah. you say that, I mean, I ask you purposely. Yep. What would you it's think about the new technology and all that stuff? And now you're going to tell me this? I know. You're going to tell me this? I know. You said that you didn't acknowledge and all that, and now you're coming with this? I know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say it. But say this it. is TV. This is different. This is not golf. Okay? <laughs> this is different. <laughs> you okay. sent me, you sent me a, a, uh, a report, okay? And in our continuing study of golf TV and the growth of the Internet television, you sent me a report about millennial TV watching habits and how networks are trying to use that info to increase their viewership. So I read that, and I have concluded from that report that you sent me that I must be a millennial. If I watch a show live, which I rarely do, and cannot fast forward to the commercials, I'm on my cell phone during the commercials, um, you know, so there's a report from Nielsen on Millennial TV Habits. Uh, you can go there and read it. Uh, it's on the Nielsen Report, uh, Homes Millennial TV Viewing. If you, uh, and it's in um, uh, CED Magazine. 
if you uh, Google that, it will come up. But uh, I found that quite interesting, really, that uh, <laughs> I, I have some of the habits. I, I'm, you know, I have ADD, technology ADD, just like the young kids. I, I, <laughs> I, I, tape, every, I tape everything and fast forward through the commercials, and if I can't, i got to be doing something while the commercial's on. So, um, oh, well. So, Carlos, that's all I have for Tuesday, March the 14th, 2017, for this edition of the Back Nine Report. And with Fred finally being declared a millennial at heart, we'll close <laughs> up another week of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, hey, check me out on iTunes or tune in. Also, you can check our show on Roku TV. And if you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back Nine Report. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.